This episode of The Capsule in Conversation is brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Famous for its waters since 1571, Harrogate is Britain's premium natural source water. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by author and psychologist Susie Redding to talk managing change, maintaining positive mental health and muddling through. So sit back, relax and get ready to join in with our conversation. you're all well and have had a fabulous week. I love this time of year as the nights start to draw in. There's a certain magical element to it. Come on, hands up who's already started lighting the candles at tea time. Me. (laughs) It's a time for snuggling up and taking good care of ourselves after the excess of the summer. And this series, more than ever, we are delving into our wellbeing toolkit. And so it gives me great pleasure to welcome one of my favourite voices in the wellness and self-care space, the brilliant Susie Redding. Hi, Susie. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so thrilled that you're with me. Honestly, I absolutely love everything that you do. And you have such a fabulous way that is so calming and so supportive. I think everything that I watch you do, everything on your Instagram and your amazing books and just all of the work that you do is is so inspiring, but it comes from a place of just, it feels like real compassion. You know, is that purposeful or is that just the way that you are? Oh, do you know what? Everything that I've learnt, everything that I talk about, hands on heart, I can say, you know, I've, I've learnt it the hard way. Yeah. And all of my posts on Instagram, they're all a little note to self. And, you know, if that can lighten someone's load or it can help someone else process how they're feeling, then that's an amazing thing. But, you know, we're all just walking each other home at the end of the day, aren't we, Natalie? Absolutely. And you know what? And the work that you do, I mean, it's it's taken you to some incredible places. I mean, you are the resident psychologist of one of my favorite brands, Neom, which I absolutely love, you know, but also, you know, as I said, you're an author, you've written five or six now, is it? Six highly acclaimed, successful self-care books, which are absolutely brilliant. And this is all alongside, you know, your private practice in counseling, stress management and yoga. And you know, all together, as you said, we're just trying to walk each other home. It's it's so hard. It's a tough world out there, isn't it? It is. Uh, and, and so much of what I've learned has come by virtue of just life experience. You know, yes, I've, I've got the qualifications of, of psychology and, and yoga, and, and I worked as a personal trainer for a decade. But um, it was my life experience of becoming a mum at the same time as losing my dad that really set me on this path. And, and I'm really passionate about empowering people with those, those same life-giving, nourishing skills. And as you just mentioned there, you know, you've been very candid as well about the fact that, you know, you became a mum and you did suffer postnatal depression as well at that same time that your dad was very ill. And I mean, I can't even comprehend what that must have been like because 
I have not experienced postnatal depression, but from my friends that have, they know they've said that it's a very terrifying experience. And then that combined with a, an ill parent, what at that time, not knowing what you know now, what what were your coping mechanisms, if any? Mm, that's a great question. Because if you look at my career up until that point, it, it was very firmly focused on well-being, yeah. right? I was steeped in well-being. And it's not like I didn't have nourishing resources. But what I learned from that experience was that, and I think this is something that resonates really broadly for, for people when they're in the midst of a tough time, is that the things that we would normally do to keep ourselves going, to top ourselves up, they so often become completely inaccessible to us in those chapters of squeeze, whether it's stress, anxiety, burnout, loss, or just change, just change, mm. even positive change. It doesn't even necessarily need to be change that we don't want. It can be change that we've, we've carefully selected and work, worked really hard for, like getting a promotion or moving house or moving countries. Um, the fact is it can be really hard to nourish ourselves in that time because we don't have maybe the same time or we don't have the same energy or we don't have the same um, physical space. You know, look at what we've just weathered in the last 18 mm. months. Um, and it can be so hard to put our finger on different ways of nourishing ourselves if um, if you're experiencing a sense of brain fog or what I, what I sort of term energetic bankruptcy. I mean, I literally felt like I'd put my finger in a plug socket and my, my nervous system felt fried. In that space, even if you know it's really important to take care of yourself, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, well, I'm, I'm not going to go for that run on the beach. That, that, I can't do that right now. I can't just go and have a coffee with a friend. How on earth am I meant to look after myself? And really, that's the question that um, I've, I've probably spent, well, my daughter's 11 now. So I've spent over the last decade fine-tuning that toolkit that will make self-care accessible to everyone when they need it the most. Because this is the thing, what people then tend to do is is they turn to unhealthy habits, then they turn to the extra glass of wine, or then they turn to, you know, the cheeky cigarette, or then they turn to staying up all night to try and get everything done, you know, and, and that actually that then contributes to the bigger problem. And it's yeah. it's making sure that people try so hard, even though it's so easily done, don't succumb to that glass of wine. And how, how you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you are going through a difficult time, it's not the answer because it will Absolutely. take you to a darker place, which then is so much harder to get out of, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's so insightful. And, and you're spot on. You know, in times of, of, of challenge, that's when we habitually start to turn to these crutches. Mm -hmm. And I think even just having this conversation will help people understand that there is a difference between a crutch and self-care. And, and neither of us are saying, let's live a life devoid of, of, of caffeine and Netflix, right? We're not yeah. saying that. But if you are turning to these things for the comfort and support, you know, let's name them. We've got caffeine in the morning to get us going, um, screens and, and social media to sort of numb us or distract us mm -hmm. from our feelings, online shopping for a feel-good hit, um, alcohol in the evening to calm us down. If we're habitually and, and solely turning to these things, all of these things have an energetic tax. And yes, they might help us cope in the moment, but all of them will make tomorrow harder. 
And if life is already hard, the last thing we need to be doing is adding to our burden. So I think what we need to do is it's not about saying, well, well don't, don't do that and do nothing in its place. There is a need. That need needs to be met. But can we meet it with something that's nourishing and life-giving? And here the distinction is a crutch will help you cope in the moment. Self-care also helps you cope in the moment, but it also lovingly tends to the person that you're becoming. And that is what helps make tomorrow easier as well. I often refer to it as romancing yourself. And in a way, like, you know, running a bath and having those luxurious oils and literally romancing yourself and indulging yourself. So you still get that nice kind of relaxed feeling that you perhaps would get with a glass of wine, but it's not going to impact your well-being over the the following days. Like your bath is actually going to make you feel calmer. If you've put nice salts in it, Himalayan salts, it's going to give you a feeling of deep relaxation, which will help you sleep. Whereas if you have that third glass of wine, you'll have disrupted sleep and then you'll be tired. So then you'll reach for the caffeine and that cycle will continue. So I often think of it as, like I said, about romancing yourself as kind of treating yourself as, as a prince or a princess and, you know, like being your own little maid almost, kind of running around after yourself. And that is, a, I think for me, what I found personally through my own little well-being journey helps me actually perform better in the following days rather than being on the back foot. Absolutely. And and what you said there is so simply done. Yeah. It can be woven into just our everyday life by just extending a little tenderness towards ourselves. Right. So even as simply as when you're washing your hands, actually feel the sensation of the water. Notice the scent of whatever product it is that you're using. Um, You know, how you dress yourself. Can you choose a garment that has either a colour or a texture that feels resonant to you. So it's, it's like we're just wrapping ourselves up in care. So it doesn't have to be something extra. It doesn't have to be something that's time-consuming. It can be in these really simple gestures. If, if we can just imbue them with a little bit of tenderness and gentleness, honestly, it just it can make all the difference, can't it? Absolutely. And you and I have talked about this before, about self-parenting. And I think that really that's so much of what it comes down to. You know, you've got to parent yourself just as you would with a child. Say it's too late now, you need to go to bed or you need to have a bath or you need to eat well. You've got to take that responsibility of parenting yourself. And particularly if you're a person that maybe perhaps had a difficult relationship with your parents, it's learning to give yourself that love and give yourself kind of that 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 big cuddle that perhaps you didn't receive at some point you know we just put a quote about it on the capsule just um, recently that an Oprah Winfrey quote about being fearless enough to give yourself the love that you didn't receive Mm -hmm. and I love that quote because I think yeah ultimately you you don't need these things could have happened to you However, that won't stop you from looking after you and parenting yourself. And I really think once you like switch on to that mindset, it makes it so much easier, don't you think? It does. It does. And, and for anyone that's struggling with this, the self-love, if, if that feels too big, that I, I really love that you've mentioned self-respect. Mm. Well, can we just be respectful towards ourselves? You know, we hear an awful lot about boundaries with other people, but this is about our boundaries with ourselves. 
you know, can we take a look at what what constitutes a healthy relationship with ourselves and what's the framework uh, in our, you know, the scaffolding in our day that allows us to be the kind of people that we aspire to be. So if, if love feels like it's too big of a stretch, well, can we just start with basic respect? Can we then turn that into maybe appreciation and gentleness? And from that, there's the possibility of, of it growing into love in time. And what does that look like, Susie? You know, for, for you, like, how does that manifest itself? Is that in eating the right food? Or is it things like, you know, affirmations? How would you put it? You know, what advice would you give? Do you know what? I think it's how it actually, the shape it takes is really individual, right? So how it looks in my day might be different to how it looks in your day. Mm. But I think there are some fundamentals, um, and that's where I, I created the vitality wheel as a framework. Mm -hmm. So that is, is kind of like, I call it the energy bank basics. Now, these are the things that for us as a, as a human being, we all need to be able to function. So we all know that we need sleep. We also need rest and relaxation. We need to know how to breathe. All of these things are fundamental for our nervous system. We need hydration we need nutrition we need movement we don't just need movement for rippling abs and toned thighs we need it for <laughs> our mood and our mental health as well and then other things that are on that vitality wheel we've got social connection we've got mood boosting things like you know whether it's hobbies or creative pursuits or you know just listening to your favorite piece of music you know or watching a youtube cat video now these are all the, the basic foundation that we need to be able to, to, to get through our day. And then in addition to that, we've got nature or the environment that we live in because that has a tangible impact on our access to creativity and a sense of humor. Um, and then we've got goal setting, coping skills, and also values. So all of these things sort of form a picture of, of what self-care can be, but how that manifests in our lives varies greatly from one person to the next. Because I think this is the other thing. I mean, we've again, we've talked about it a lot and we're very much still championing this about, you know, that self-care isn't selfish. You know, it's it's essential. It's really essential. And you can't you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't possibly do an amazing job if you're absolutely frazzled. So it, it does start with you, doesn't it? You you have to turn inward and go, okay, I'm so frazzled, but I don't want to be snapping at the kids or whatever. Well, then you must prioritize yourself and we've we've got to get out of this mindset and i really think we are moving forward actually you know with people like yourself making it accessible and not seeming selfish to actually dedicate time to ourselves but there is still a way to go isn't there there is and i and i think probably one of the the biggest lessons that we've learned from the pandemic is the value of our health and and when we understand that self care is health care that helps to break down some of the barriers. Or another way of looking at self-care is thinking of it as energy management. You know, when we are well nourished, well, that's when we're best placed to cope with whatever it is that comes up, all of the curveballs. And we just, we know, we know the nature of these curveballs. We've been living in the midst of such great uncertainty and we still are, right? Um, I think for anyone that's struggling with the concept of self-care, um, at the end of the day, I don't expect anyone to care about self-care. Like you don't have yeah. to care about the concept. But when you hook into what self-care facilitates in our lives, that's when we get that big aha moment. So you mentioned, I want to take care of myself so I don't snap at the kids. So self-care is the thing that, 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 that nourishes you so that you can be the kind of mother that you aspire to be. And when we connect with 
what it brings to our lives, that's when we go, ah, oh, right, this, this, this is not just, you know, something that we shoehorn into Sunday morning or it's not just when everything else is cleared from our to-do list. This is something that we've got to weave into the fabric of our day because it's the stuff that helps us cope. It's the stuff that gives us, uh, you know, the capacity to deal with stress and respond compassionately. It's the stuff that helps us restore and cope. And we've been through an awful lot. Yeah. So um, I, I hope that, that some of those reframes can, can take the, the barriers away. I think one of the most unsettling things with the pandemic has been this constant change. You know, we're very much, we like what we know. We like to be in a routine. We like the boundaries. We, we like those things. And this constant shifting. We don't deal well with change anyway, I don't think, as human beings. You know, when you have a loss of somebody and there's a change, when there's an end of a relationship, as you mentioned before, when we start a new job, we have all of these, you know, confusing, sometimes exciting, sometimes devastating emotions. And we've been on this roller coaster, um, which seems to have really exacerbated people's fear of change. So what things, you know, for people that are still trying to come to terms with this, what anchors can you recommend to help people? Okay, so I think in the midst of change, it's it's twofold. You, you've identified that, you know, human beings thrive on uncertainty and we like to be in control. And the kind of change that we've all just weathered has been the antithesis of that. So we're on high alert. And when you're on high alert for a long period of time, it is exhausting. So I think first and foremost, if we can focus on restorative practices so that we're soothing our nervous system and topping up our energy bank so that we can think with clarity again. And, and the other part of change is inherent in any change, whether it's change of our choosing, positive change, negative change, there, there's, there's grief. Mm. And we just don't talk about grief enough. And, and really when it comes to the work of grief, the, the work of grief is feeling our feelings. So that is giving us time and space to identify our feelings, to, to you know, just let them percolate, to bear witness. And sometimes that's going to be just sitting with them and, and feeling them, let them move through, through us. Sometimes we're going to need external validation. We need to be heard and understood and cared for. But that, that's, that's why change is so hard because inherently there's grief and it's in the context of just of what we've all experienced globally, which is really frazzling for, for our minds and bodies. I mean, even you just saying that, literally my eyes have just started filling up and I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> I like literally was like just thinking, oh my goodness, like this wave of emotions just literally come over me. And I think it's what you said about you know, we tend to store grief in very deep places, like right within our kind of chest and stomach areas, we store it there. Mm -hmm. And we don't really talk about it that often. And, you know, we don't kind of sit and mull over it. It's, it's almost expected of us to to kind of like move on. Um, so even just you saying, you know, acknowledge the grief and acknowledge those feelings and sit with them, for whatever reason then, that just made me really fill up. And if anyone's listening to, to this conversation and that's given you the same kind of reaction, I, I do think it's because we bury it so deeply. Um, and, you know, with the work that you do, do you see that quite often? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think the single most healing thing that I've ever experienced as a human being 
was um, my postnatal depression counsellor saying to me, of course you feel as you do. Any human being would feel that way. And it was just this, it just felt like a profound release. And it, it, it felt like I was in a safe place where I could express myself. But just to be told, yeah, of course, of course. It's, oh, my goodness. Okay. So that's, you know, that's what I endeavoured to do in my work, you know, validating how people feel, but also being a container so I can be a safe place and hold that, but also empowering people to know what to do with their emotions because it can be really difficult. Like this wasn't modelled for us growing up. I have so many people saying, I, okay, now I'm feeling stuff. Well, what do we do with it? Well, that's where we need this, this soothing toolkit and, and whether it's using gentle touch or massage or gentle stretching or being with nature just feeling the sunlight on your skin or, or, or watching the moving canopy of trees or the cloudscape or um, breath work. These are the ways that we can move through our emotions in a healthy way and, and, and release their energetic charge because they, they have an energetic charge, don't they? You know, if, you, if you stifle a laugh or if you hold back a tear, it's, it's not like that energy just disappears. It, it mm. gets held in the body. So I love that you mentioned the chest and, and the abdomen. I think the other place where we hold it is the jaw. Yeah. So if we can involve practices that creates a softening there, that can be really, really helpful. And as you said, you know, about movement, this is something I've learned through the podcast, actually, and, and like the lives that I've done with various experts about that transition of um, energy, that mm. flow of energy, because nine times out of 10, you know, when you're producing a lot of adrenaline, which people who are highly anxious do, and, and I've suffered with it terribly for a lot of my life. And it's that... <gasps> to the point where you, you can't breathe, you can't catch your breath, it feels, your chest feels so tight. And someone said to me, yeah, you just need to get up and move, like dance mm. it out almost, because yeah. it's just the transference of energy. And yeah. when they, when I was told that, it really made sense. And now that is kind of my go-to, is if that anxiety is there and that build-up of uh, adrenaline and fizzy energy, I either mm. try and run or I try and dance in the kitchen like a crazy person, but it works because we move the energy out. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's understanding probably the science behind it as well as the emotion. Yeah, yeah. And if anyone's thinking, oh my God, but I haven't got, I haven't got the energy. <laughs> I haven't got the energy to dance it out. Well, it can be so simply done. Literally just shake your hands, like flick it off your hands. And for anyone else that's experienced, you know, we've mentioned the breath, mm. but sometimes if I love that you called it fizzy energy, that, yeah. that is the perfect descriptor. If, if you're already sort of feeling flooded with those, uh, those stress hormones and someone says to you, ah, just take a deep breath, you know, sometimes that can make us feel even more agitated. So if we can then move with the breath, that allows us to access this spacious breathing that calms the nervous system, but without having to think about the breath. So the, the little movement that we could do there is if you touch your fingertips to your shoulders mm. and then breathe in, lift your elbows up and breathe out, take your elbows back and down. Now, this doesn't take any energy. Even when you zonked, you can do this one. But it opens up the chest and the ribs and it releases the, the shoulders. So we're releasing physical tension at the same time and it helps you breathe better. So something as simple as that, that movement helps you breathe better, which will help you feel better. Because so many people, don't they, they, they think that, you know, self-care or looking or well-being or wellness or movement, there's still this like, oh, it's holistic. 
there's still this vibe where actually I just wish it was part of everybody's, as you've mentioned, toolkit. And I'm really glad like with children, I do feel like this is filtering down into schools because I do think that we need teaching this from very early on. You know, it's it's really important. You know, if you look at the impact of the pandemic on our kids and especially teenagers as well, who have really been locked down and had all these hormones and they don't know what to do with them. And it's been so difficult. So I think, you know, rightly that the introduction of the these kinds of practices in schools is so helpful. I mean, but you also, you've written books that kind of appeal to children as well. You know, just tell me a little bit more about the way that you approach children with mental health. You know, it's very, very similar concepts because the fact is we, we all have a, a brain that thinks and we have feelings that we have to navigate and we've got pressure points in our day. So essentially it's the same toolkit it's the same vitality wheel, you know, it's the mm. same foundation, but it's just making sure that the practices are tailored for children and the, you know, real life examples. But it is so, I just loved having the opportunity to write a book for kids because even when us parents are trying to share these tips and tools with our kids, sometimes they just need to hear it from another voice. Yeah. Even if it's the same words, but it just <laughs> needs to be another voice. So, yeah, that was such a joy to write that book. Um, I That was actually written in response because my daughter wanted to read um, Self-Care Revolution and I talk yeah. an awful lot about my transition to motherhood and I'm like, sweetie, you can't read that one yet. We've got to, <laughs> I've got to get an opportunity to write for you. And, it, and, that, and that was just such a joy because... Kids just want to own it for themselves. You know, they don't want it, they don't want it always to be spoon fed from their parents. Mm. So having a resource that they can kind of squirrel away and and build their own toolkit from, I think, is is really powerful. And in that book, I wanted to make it clear that this is this is just stuff that we do to navigate our day. Right? We brush our teeth. Mm. We you know we learn how to cross roads safely. We know what healthy eating is. We know we need to move our bodies. We also need a toolkit to help us manage our mind and to, to navigate big emotions. And this is all just part of normal everyday life. We all face it. Because this is one thing that I found with my son. He's very sensitive. And when I say sensitive, I don't mean he's shy. He's very sensitive to emotions, to feelings. He feels big, you know, and, and he'll sometimes yeah. say, I don't know how to control it. I don't know how to control myself, like whether that's anger, whether that's excitement, whether it's, you know, euphoria, it's big. It's any, he, he just sometimes struggles with how to, how to contain it, you know, particularly if he's in a school situation and he can't understand sometimes, like if, if we get frustrated with him, you know, we've got work to do, me and my husband or, and he's bounding around being larger than life. And I often feel so bad when we're like, sit down, stop it, you know, be quiet, which is a natural response as a parent. But I'm then really conscious of, I don't want to minimize his emotions and make him feel like he can't express them because he's just trying to express. And that's when he say to me, I can't control it. You know, do you find that with kids? Definitely. And the, and the fact is like so often, now I'm going to put my hand up here and say, I do this. We find ourselves thinking, oh, stop behaving like a child. <laughs> they <laughs> are kids. Like the fact is they, it is not possible for them to regulate their emotions as adults can learn to. And I will say this is a learned response, right? We've got to learn how to do this as adults. It's hard for us as adults. I don't think, you know, it's not fair to expect our children to do that. But what we can empower them with things is an insight into their feelings. So mm. I think even just 
being able to identify what you're feeling is, is very empowering. If you know that it's anger, ah, oh, right, well, that's what it is. We feel less acted upon. So by helping our children to develop a rich vocabulary to be able to describe their emotions is really empowering. And I think part of that is actually sharing our emotional life with our kids. And I think there are a lot of parents who are thinking, gosh, is it okay for me to do that? Well, if we do it in an appropriate way, right, in an age-appropriate way for mm -hmm. our children, I think it's such a blessing because it validates their emotions. And in doing so, it also gives us an opportunity to co-create toolkits to help us manage those feelings. Now, this is obviously best done in calmer moments. We're not going to sit down and brainstorm a toolkit when our kids are, <laughs> you know, in the throes of, of anger. But once it's passed, we can sit down and say, okay, so in that situation, how are you feeling? Where, where was it in your body? Can you use some, you know, if, if it's hard to put it into words, can you describe it as a weather or can you describe it as an animal? Let's just, let's just get descriptive. And then what can we do to support ourselves through it? Can we use a breathing technique? Can we use some movement? Can we use nature? Can we use, a, you know, a simple phrase? Some, can, some kind words. Can we just check in and make sure that we're not hangry or dehydrated, right? These are all practical things that, that form these toolkits. And I'm constantly amazed at what kids volunteer themselves, right? As parents, we think, oh, gosh, we're going to have to come up with all the answers. But our children have some really beautiful suggestions and we can do it together. This is so true. And I'm definitely finding this with my son at the minute. And I mean, I'm going to ask you this now and you, you might know the answer, you might not, but I know there'll be a lot of parents kind of in the same situation where if the children are spending time on screens, their behavior definitely changes. Like my son will go from being really calm, really relaxed. And then if he's had an hour of screen time, he is absolutely wired to the point where nothing makes sense he's he's aggressive and trying to manage that is very difficult too because this is a, a quite a new thing isn't it this is only really in this generation that we've had to kind of adapt to this and I know so many parents who are all saying the same thing going oh my son or my daughter becomes really aggressive and I don't know what to do about it I mean, what, what's your recommendations for, you know, for children? Because we, we, we want them to kind of keep up with the times and be part yeah. of the group and things. But equally, I'm re I do get concerned about the behaviour and the changes in behaviour. Yeah, it's, it is, it's definitely challenging. But you're absolutely right. You know, this is a normal and necessary part of life now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you look at how, um, you know, children in secondary, secondary school are learning, um, screens are part of that an integral part of that but you're right you know it is that overstimulation has a tangible impact on their behavior it's almost like with our little ones they become their feelings and when they're overstimulated they become it is it's too much for them to bear so and you're right look i don't have all the answers but i think having healthy boundaries establishing time limits and considering time of day as well. We need to make sure that there's plenty of time to wind down after that, before bedtime. Um, but this is, we've got to take a look at what this facilitates in our children's lives. You know, this is, I can remember coming home from school as a kid and we'd pick up the phone, you know, mm -hmm. the physical phone, you know, the... the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'd spend, we'd spend hours on the phone and that was normal and that's how we'd connect. Kids don't do that anymore. We don't even have landlines, right? So they connect via WhatsApp. They connect via their games. And it's 
it's not fair to say you can't do that because that that can alienate and isolate and and we know how damaging that is for mental health but it's just it's carving digital health boundaries and and that might be really individual you know some kids 30 minutes that might be the max um, and i think it's also we've got to pay attention to what we sacrifice if there's lots of time being consumed by screens so are our kids getting enough movement are they getting enough daylight are they getting enough face-to-face -face social connection when that's available to us and making sure that we're, we're, we're being enriched by lots of different um, environments and, and ways of, of, of moving through our day. Because as well, the other thing is that I think is worrying is it becoming learned behaviour because we as adults are spending so much time on screens that the children, their excuses are, well, you're doing that. And it's kind of like you haven't got a leg to stand on. So we have to take some responsibility as well on ourselves, don't we? And say, right, okay, I need to set a really good example and yeah. move and, you know, put it yeah. down and turn the computer off. Yes, we've got to unplug. We've got to take a look at our digital addictions. You know, they are literally, it's like a digital pacifier, isn't it? Yeah. If you've got nothing to do, oh, just pick it up. There's always something to be done. So absolutely, we've got to look at the, the, the behaviour that we're modelling. And I think sometimes having family um, contracts can be really useful where there'll be times where it's like, no, all the devices are going to be put somewhere else. We're, we're coming together. We're going, to, we're going to connect with the here and now now. Yeah, but not one rule for you and one rule for me. You know, I think that that gives, creates conflict, yeah, doesn't it? It does. It gives mixed messages. You know, moving through the pandemic, um, intimacy is quite a big factor. You know, the do we hug? Do we not hug? Do we touch? Should we touch? Are we allowed to touch? And then we're not allowed to touch. But then also, it's it's caused quite a fracture between people i mean i'll be absolutely brutally honest when we were officially allowed to hug i still didn't hug my mum initially and it was really odd and i could tell she was really disappointed but i just felt so removed not mentally mm. removed from mm. her just physically removed and mm. you know how do we navigate that and bringing us back to being close and having that intimacy whether that's with a partner a friend grandparents what what's mm. your advice for you know moving forward mm. when you think of the messaging that we've received effectively we were told stay at home to stay safe if you do go out don't touch anything and stay away from people right we needed to do that to be safe like that it was strong it was strong messaging and i guess it had to be to get us all on board it's going to take a long time to dial down that feeling of high alert, isn't it? Mm. And I think our comfort zone is determined by what we do on a regular basis. So for the last 18 months, you know, life contracted. Even normal things don't feel familiar anymore, right? Mm. So we need to give ourselves time and just little by little you know, reclaim a more fuller expression of life and intimacy and connection. But you're right, you know, what one person feels comfortable and safe with might be really different to what someone else feels comfortable and safe with. So I think going gently and being compassionate and, and also saying out loud what we feel okay with, I think that's really important. To move forward, yeah. 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 And I think as well is respecting other people's boundaries is, you know, not 
I've seen it happen. I've seen people kind of go, oh, are we hugging? And you can see the other person going, dying because they're not ready to, but they'll do it to pacify somebody else. And and there's no judgment there. Don't get me wrong on anybody. And that's what's been very difficult because I've seen relationships fracture over something that's been imposed and not something that is, you know, I would always hug my mum. I love my mum to bits, but it's, you can feel that. But yeah, that slight fracturing of relationships mm. and just as you say, being kind and respecting other people's boundaries and your own as well. Yes. You know, going back to what we said with the self-care, with yeah. having your attitude to self-care is setting your own boundaries and that's all right. Yeah. I, I think too, when you look at the nature of, of how we've been able to interact, so in, in terms of different family units, you know, there, there might be some siblings that was able to, to bubble up with parents and others that weren't and so that the ones that we're able to to meet on a regular basis they've had a sense of currency and consistency and of course that deepens bonds and then you've got other siblings who maybe you haven't been privy to that so there are so many different variables in there where maybe people are feeling left out or maybe people who have been doing the caregiving are feeling like overburdened mm. And when you look at the impact that that has on the family unit, it's it's really big. So I think it's this is yet an, again another another source of grief, another source of of another reason that we've we've got to cultivate this ability to let go. And it's hard, isn't it? It is. I think one thing that I've learned definitely in the last year and a half, well, actually since I started this podcast, was about change, and that if you're changing, you're growing because inevitably mm-hmm. change brings growth. And even, you know, finding the comfort in the discomfort. These are two things that I've really had to learn to appreciate and um, really take to heart so that when these tough times do happen, that actually I can see an end or I can, not an end necessarily, but I can see a way through and I can understand the process that actually it does, it's not A and B, it's not black and white, it's a process. And if you can consider that into your your head, into it might help you kind of navigate it. I mean, your book, you know, Self-Care for Tough Times, which you released like in this, when we needed it the most kind of thing, I suppose there's a lot of that kind of thought process in the book as well, isn't there? There is. It was just such uncanny timing, Natalie. I'd, I'd finished that manuscript before the pandemic hit and I was just so lucky that we were able to bring it out sooner in um, Kindle and audiobook. It's, it's out now in paperback, but just uncanny timing. Absolutely. We all need a soothing toolkit, don't we? We do, absolutely. I mean, speaking of which, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you are, um, you know, part of the Neom family, which is an amazing family to be part of. I mean, how did that collaboration come about? My goodness, Neom contacted me. It was, they. I think they found me through social media. It's, it's, it was crazy timing. My son was about three weeks old, and I just settled my my firstborn into into school her first it was such a period of change and I I looked at this email and went I can't do this now this is just this is too big this is scary I I can't string two words together let alone you know do it publicly and I sat on it for a couple of weeks and then I thought I can't keep I can't pass up this opportunity and it's it's been such a fruitful partnership and I think through working with 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 Nicola the founder Mm. I've really learned how you know scent is mood alchemy 
And these tiny little micro moments where we get, like we were saying before, weave them into your day and it helps you manage your energy levels so that you can respond, you know, spaciously. A lot of it came from, from that partnership. We had Nicola on the podcast on the first series and I, it's still to this day, it's one of my most favourite podcasts and the 70, living at 70%, which... Even now, I still go, oh my God, that changed my life that did, you know, having that 70% mantra and dropping a few balls. And I was mm-hmm. like, this was so alien to me a couple of years ago. I would have just said, what? You need to work 110% all the time. But speaking to her and, you know, listening to that mindset and how actually by being more sloth-like, I think is how she described it, then you can actually have more mental energy to get better ideas through through the finish line and it's it really does you know there's definitely something in that a hundred percent you know she's built this incredible business and there's got to be something in it and and, you know and obviously as she said you know the mixing of the fragrances i did something recently on coco chanel and she was saying about how sense is the one sense that will bring the water back to your eyes and it basically what she was saying was you can walk into a room and it will straight away evoke so much passion or so much feeling from you. You'd want to cry straight away. You could see mm. something, but you wouldn't necessarily want to cry. Whereas if you smell mm. something and I went into um, a shop that was a fireplace shop. My granddad used to have a coal fire in the old like back in the in the late 80s. And I went into this shop and immediately again, filled up in tears was like, <gasps> It smells like my granddad. And it's like mm. what you say, you know, with sense, those sensory elements, bringing them into our daily life can really help us, can't they? They can indeed. And I, I love that, you know, some scents will lift us up. Others will focus us. Some will calm us down. So there's a different different tonic for every moment. Absolutely. And now, so just before we wrap up this series, I am asking all of my guests, what would be the one thing that you would add into our well-being capsule? And it can be a product or a practice, but it comes mm-hmm. highly recommended by you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think in context of what we've been talking today about navigating change and, and navigating grief, it would be a practice where if we rub the hands together to create a little bit of warmth, and then place your hands across your heart and feel that sense of warmth penetrating our chest. And if we can just extend some kind words to ourselves, it could be as as simple as, I give myself permission to feel as I do. I make space for my feelings, or I can be here for myself. And that that can make all the difference in our day, can't it, Natalie? Oh, I love that, Susie. I love that. So there you go, everybody. That is Susie's highly recommended practice for our well-being capsule. Susie, it has been absolutely fabulous to have you with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. It's such a joy to come together and, and, and to talk about these things. And I hope people feel inspired and uplifted with lots of new things to try. Absolutely. I hope you guys at home have found our conversation helpful. And obviously, if you'd like to find out more about Susie's work and brilliant books, then please head over to her website at www.susiereading.co.uk or you can find her at Instagram at Susie Redding. For more wellbeing, fashion and beauty, you can always visit us at our website, www.thecapsule.co.uk, where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the In Conversation page and subscribing to 
any of our podcast channels and YouTube. It would be so lovely to hear your thoughts on this brand new series. So please do feel free to leave us your rates and reviews. I love reading them. So thank you. If you're a social butterfly, you can also catch us on Instagram and Facebook at Official Capsual. I will be back next week with another extra special guest and conversation of inspiration. But today, all that's left for us to say is goodbye. So it's goodbye from Susie. Bye. And goodbye from me. This episode of the Capsule in Conversation was brought to you by Harrogate Spring Water. Bottled at source, Harrogate Spring offers a pure, refreshing taste with a delicate blend of naturally occurring minerals and electrolytes, perfect for healthy hydration.